0: Well, good morning. I'm glad to see you. Glad to welcome those who worship with, with us online. And, and, you know, occasionally we used to do something. We used to talk to one another. Do you remember that? It was B.C., before COVID. We used to talk to people, and, and they would talk back to us. Now, I do all the talking, and you're just stuck, and you have to listen all the time. I got to talk to a few people at the early service this morning, and they said, hey, we watch you online all the time. Some of them lived here. Some of them live out of town. They said, we're going back home soon, but we'll be watching you. We always watch you online. I said, who knew? I knew my mother did that, but I didn't know anybody else did that, right? My mother's been watching my sermons, and she always critiques them and tells me, you know, as only a mother would, how great they are. And so uh, I like to talk to her. It's good medicine. You know what I'm saying? But she got stuck on one that I preached on February the 28th, and she really liked that one. So she said, boy, I, I watch them all. They're all good. But, boy, that the 28th, that was so good. I go back and I watch that one again and again and again. And then she said this. She really did say this. I'm not making this up. You can't make this up. She said, but, you know, you need to change your shirt. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you wear that blue shirt all the time. Every I said, I wear a different shirt every Sunday. She said, No, no, no. That blue one that's a plaid, you wear that thing. I said, I want you to go back and check. I believe I wore that shirt on February the 28th. (laughs) I think you're just watching that sermon over and over and over again. And yeah, it's going to have the same shirt in it every time I preach. (laughs) I can't go back and change it now. So I said, Go. And she went back and looked. She said, I think you're right. Oh, okay. That's, there's no extra charge for that. Just this reality kicking in. Well, here's what's going on. You know, because let me say that you do so much thinner in person when I get to see you in person than you do online, right? So I want to talk to you because we're doing this series right now, and it's all about God is near. And Jesus shows up, and he's saying, I'm here. The kingdom of God is near. You're always near to me, but it's not a kingdom like a Roman empire. It's a kingdom of relationship. It's you can have me in your heart. We can, we can have a, a walking, talking relationship together every day. It's not the same kind of kingdom that you're thinking of, but, but the kingdom is near. And so that's good news, right? We want the kingdom to be near because we want the king to be near. We want to be in relationship with him and walk and live with him. Now here's the thing that I've noticed. Our faith sometimes deteriorates based on our circumstances. Have you ever noticed that? In other words, our confidence in God rises and falls based on circumstances. See, we want to have faith. Everybody wants to have faith, right? And we do most of the time. And when things are going great, it's easy to have faith. But what happens when you get in a bind? If we're not careful, we move from faith to fear, okay? And we focus on that fear. And we're just not really sure if God can deal with our situation himself, okay? He can help other people. But but what about me? And what about my needs? Can he take care of my needs? And so what happens is that fear turns us into fortune tellers. Any of you fortune tellers in here? See, you're not supposed to be fortune tellers, right? Right. But, but sometimes we become fortune tellers and, and we may be positive, we may be negative. Some people are kind of on the negative side, the pessimistic side. What they say is they're realists. I'm not a pessimist, I'm a realist. Well, if that makes you feel better, okay, we'll, we'll go with that. And What they do is they, they're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Things are going to go bad. It's not going to go well. And we're going to be in trouble. And I don't know how we're going to deal with this. And so they just kind of expect that. And then they begin to think, well, you know, not only am I not sure about the future, I'm not sure anybody's holding the future. In other words, I'm not really sure that God's in charge of what's going to happen next. I'm not sure that he's there. And everything changes. Your future, the future of your family, the future of your finances, it all changes based on circumstances. And while it would be easy for me or anybody else in here to encourage you and say, well, just believe, just hang in there. You're going to be okay. God's going to be faithful. You know, that's really not enough because I might need that pep talk next week, right? But but it still won't necessarily be enough for me. I don't really have the moral authority to tell you that, but I know somebody who does. Simon Peter, if he were here, he would tell us exactly how to respond. And today we're in part five of our series, God is Near. And Peter's account of the life and the time he spent with Jesus, he's telling to John Mark. Now, we've been talking about this. And so just every now and then I give a little review part because you may not have been here for the whole series. This might be your first Sunday. And you're going, what is he talking about? You know, you're in part six and I'm just in part one. What's going on? And so we remember that, that... This is like 30 or 35 years after Peter has been spending time with Jesus. And it's one last time he's going to tell his story because everywhere he goes for 30 or 35 years after the resurrection, people go, there's Peter. Peter, come here and tell us what happened. What was it like being with Jesus? What was it like listening to him teach? What was it like watching him perform miracles? What was it like just hanging around with him? He was amazing. Tell us all about it. We want to know that we're hungry. And so that's the way they were. Every time they saw him, they wanted to hear from him. But this time it's an audience of one. And it's John Mark. And John Mark is just, he's just taking down dictation, okay? He's not trying to write the Bible. He's just trying to get down what Peter's saying in such a way that people can follow it. But it does become the gospel of Mark and all that he's been through now, all the experiences Peter's had, all this time, he's more convinced than ever that Jesus is the Son of God, and he is the Messiah. And Peter says, everywhere I went with Jesus, the message was basically the same message. And it says this in Mark 1, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, and believe the good news now we said earlier that when you see the word repent in this particular instance it's not so much about getting away from the bad as it is hey i'm doing something new and i want you to embrace it jesus is here he's got a new relationship it's a new opportunity i want you to uh, to recognize it to embrace it to take it and, and to live it to to be a part of your life from now on and so the in other words he's waiting Uh, The waiting is over. The kingdom of God is near, which means you're never far away from him and that God is doing a brand new thing. And Jesus and his disciples are in Caesarea Philippi and they're leaving and they're going to go through Galilee into Judea and they're making their way to Jerusalem. And Jesus flips the authority paradigm upside down. And he says, now you need to understand how everybody in the world manages authority. And he says, people with power and resources leverage everything to have more power and resources. We talked about this last week. And he says, and then he looks at the disciples and he says this phrase, not so with you. Not so with you. In other words, you know, the way Jesus looks at people is not people to use, but people to bless, people to make a priority, people to help. And he says you know the world is going to look at you and they're going to try to figure out how they can be powerful and, and and leverage resources over you he said but not so with you you're going to make my kingdom and my people a priority and the world is going to sit up and take notice when you do that because it's so different from the world the world's trying to take advantage of it. That's why people try to scam you all the time. The world is trying to do things their way. They're trying to get ahead. They're trying to make life better for them. They don't really care about other folks. They don't really care about the kingdom of God. They don't know any better. They don't even know how that works. But God says, you know what? Jesus is saying not so with you. You're a not so with you person. You just look at things differently, and it makes a difference. And, And so he says, Not so with you. That's not the kind of kingdom I've come to establish, and that's not the kind of king I am. And even the Son of Man, he says, did not come to be served but to serve. He lived that example, and he taught us, I want you to learn to do that. You didn't come to be served. You came to serve. And when we serve other people, it gets their attention. When we serve them and love them and put them first, then they're amazed. And then he says this, and this baffles them. Because here's what's going on. He said, the Messiah is here. The Son of God is here. I'm making the announcement. The kingdom is near. And they're all fired up. And then he says this, okay? And to give my life a ransom for many. And they don't understand that at all. Wait a minute. What, What are you talking about? Give your life. You've just announced your kingdom. You're the Messiah. You're finally here. We're finally going to have the guy we've been waiting for. And now you're talking about dying for other people? Well, the Messiah can't die, can he? That's what they're thinking. How how does that work? I mean, what will we do if you leave? How how are we going to go forward? And this was just a part of what they couldn't understand. And as they near Jerusalem, there's this Galilean... Passover group of pilgrims on their way to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. And there are rumors everywhere that Jesus has actually raised a man from the dead, Lazarus, which he has done, and he's healed the blind man, Bartimaeus. We talked about that last week. In fact, Bartimaeus, once he got healed and he got his sight, what did he do? He said, okay, thanks, I'm good. I'm going to go home and put my feet... He says, I'm following that guy. I want to be around him. I was blind, and now I can see. I want to know where he's going. I just want to listen to him. I just There's something special about him. N- nobody else could do that. And now I can see, and I want to spend time with him. And so he's joined the crowd. He's going, let me tell you what he did for me. And other people are going, well, let's follow him too, right? And then it goes on in Mark 11. It says, many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. This is as Jesus is passing by, right? And those who went ahead, it says, and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then it turns political. It says, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna, the heaven. And so they anticipated that when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, He's going to proclaim himself king. He's going to set up his kingdom. And now what they've been waiting for for generations is finally going to happen. And they're euphoric. The disciples are euphoric. And it's a festival atmosphere. And they're all excited on their way to Jerusalem. And then it gets even better. When they get to Jerusalem, what happens is even though it's late in the afternoon, Jesus insists that immediately... They make their way to the temple, and it says Jesus entered Jerusalem. He went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went to Bethany with the twelve, and th- this is confusing to him. Okay, he's in Jerusalem. That's where we're going. That's where he's going to do things, but he's going to go two miles away to Bethany. They're going to spend the night, but then the next day he's going to come back, and they're going, okay, now it's going to happen. Now is when he's going to set everything up, right? And the disciples are thinking, this is it. And, but Jesus goes into the temple, and instead of being messianic, he just makes a big mess. And they're really confused then. What does he do? He turns over the temple tables, and he runs out the money changers, and he accuses them of turning God's house of prayer into a corrupt commercial enterprise. See, see here again, you see the world's perspective. I'm going to leverage power and resources for myself. And he says, not so with you. And you can see the difference. And of course, the chief priests and the leaders and even the disciples with Jesus, because they're saying, Jesus, are you paying attention? You, you, these are We need friends in Jerusalem. If you're going to win friends and influence people, this is the wrong way to do it. What are you thinking? And so it goes on in Mark 11. It says, The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and they began looking for a way to kill him. And they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his what? Amazed at his miracles? Amazed at his what? Now listen, catch this. Don't miss this. If you had been around Jesus, and you'd watched a blind man get his sight for the first time in his life, wouldn't you be impressed? He'd have my attention. I want to follow that guy, right? But that's not what impressed these folks. It was his teaching. Why? Because they were the religious leaders. They were the people who were the authorities of the day. And they said, if people stop listening to us and just go listen to him, there's some competition in town now. We don't like that. And so what are we going to do about it? We got to get rid of this guy because he's just going to take away all our business. He's messing everything up, right? And once again, Jesus leaves the city and he goes outside the city and spends the night. And the next day he comes back to the temple and now the leaders are ready for him this time. They're ready to ambush him. And he responds with a parable telling them that they are the villains, which makes them even more angry at him. And then in Mark 12, it says this, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him, and they went away. And Jesus continues to teach on the Temple Mount. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees come up with more trick questions. They're always trying to trick Jesus, always trying to trap him, always trying to put him in the corner, right, so they can win. They're trying to outsmart him. And so the, the Pharisees go first. It's their turn first, right? And in Mark 12, they say this, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity, you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And then it goes on and says, is it right to pay imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay for it or shouldn't we pay for it? And let me tell you about this tax. It's a poll tax, and everybody in there, in Judea, they have to pay this tax. And they hate it because it reminds them, it started back when the Roman uh, rule began to take ownership. They began to direct the, the whole place because they were in charge as the authorities. And it reminded them constantly that they were no longer a sovereign state. Now they've got to do what says they have. And it was a good question. You know, which one of these should we do? Should we give it to God? Should we give it to Caesar? What and so he says, yes. If he says yes, you know, there he gets in trouble because then he gets in trouble with all the Jews and, and they hated the tax. In other words, should we pay it to Caesar? But if he says, no, you shouldn't pay the tax, then he gets in trouble with Rome. So how's he going to get out of it? They backed him into a corner, right? But the scripture says, but Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Now, here's what I want you to catch. On the front of the denarius is Tiberius Caesar with an inscription that says, son of the divine Augustus. And if you translate that, it's basically saying, son of God, right here on the coin. And then on the other side of it, it is proclaimed Tiberius to be the high priest of the Roman religion. So everything about this coin was offensive to Jewish people. And Jesus says, bring me the coin. And they brought him the coin, it says. And then he asked them, whose image is on this and whose inscription? Now here, I want you to catch this. Jesus is so wise. And he's saying, you're not supposed to have any graven images, because of the Ten Commandments, right? Well, reach in your pocket and give me one. (laughs) He's showing them up. He's making them, give him the coin that they've been asking about, and he can say, and by the way, you're not so good at following the law yourself, are you? And he gets the coin, and he holds it up, and he looks at it, and, and they're just amazed, and they bring it to him. The Pharisees know that they're not supposed to have or worship any graven images, but they have to. Rel- and he says, "Who's on there?" And they say, "Caesars." Caesar's name is on there. And then Jesus said to them, "This: Give back to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's." And they thought they had him backed in a corner, and he just blew him out of the water. And it says, "And they were amazed at him." In other words, they just got slammed dunked. Okay. The Pharisees went up to bat, and they struck out. This was their shot at trying to get Jesus, and they blew it. So what do they do? Well, they go off and lick their wounds and mope and say, okay, we didn't do very well. Your turn. And so now it's the Sadducees' turn. And the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. The the Pharisees do, but the Sadducees don't. And so they come up with this ridiculous hypothetical situation. They say, okay, let's say a guy got married he and his wife are married. The guy dies. Then the guy's brother marries his wife, okay, after he's dead. So when they're in paradise, after they die, go to heaven, then, then whose wife will she be in eternity? Who will she belong to? And so Jesus looks at them and said, You had not read your Bible. You haven't read Moses. And then he does something equally brilliant. He t- the verb tense show the absurdity of their view of the afterlife. And it's no surprise that from there on, no one dares to ask him any more questions. In other words, the Sadducees choke too. They strike out too and they go, okay, we're going home now. (laughs) We blew it. We tried. We thought we had him. We couldn't do it. And Jesus and the 12 decide that they're going to again leave the temple and the city. And what happens next is extraordinary because it says in Mark 13, As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And Jesus said, Do you see those buildings? Not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Now, here's what's happening. They're looking from the Mount of Olives at the temple, and they're looking at this magnificent structure. And we're talking about a 37-acre plaza. Okay, And as they look at this, he says, every one of these stones that's extraordinary structure is going to be thrown off the plaza. And the disciples are thinking, not even an earthquake can do that. And Jesus goes on from the Mount of Olives. He looks back at the city and and they said, what do you mean? Not every single stone will be left on top of another. And Jesus predicts the destruction of Jerusalem and the Jewish temple. And none of the disciples even understand what he's talking about. But 40 years later, the Roman legions got into the city of Jerusalem and they tore down the temple. They lit everything on fire that would burn. And then Titus, who was in charge of the legions at the time, used slave labor, Jewish slave labor, and they tore down every single stone of the altar and the temple and everything there, and they dragged those stones over to the edge of the plaza and they threw them off. And his prediction became a reality. It actually became true. And Jesus says this to them. Here's why this is important. Because Jesus has said earlier, there's something greater than the temple here. See, when you look at the temple, you think of God, right? And he's saying, I'm here. I'm God. I'm the son of God. I'm right here. This temple will only have a certain shelf life in the world and it'll go away. I'll still be here, and your relationship with me is one you can have forever, and there will come a time when the temple will be obsolete. Something greater than the temple has arrived. The kingdom of God is near because the king is in town. In other words, it's not just about going to church anymore. It's about having a relationship with me every day, day in and day out, And it was a place where the Spirit of God was about to inhabit the followers. And what was left was a king to ratify. All he had to do was ratify this new arrangement between himself and mankind. So what happens next? In Mark 14, it says, Now the Passover and the festival of the unleavened bread were only two days away. And once again, they're back outside the city and the disciples come to him and they say this to him. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now, they don't know it, but Jesus has already made secret preparations for that. And so this is what he says, go into the city and you'll see a man carrying a jar of water. Follow that man, he'll take you to the place where we're gonna celebrate the Passover. Now, what's unusual about that? Who carried jars of water in that day? Women. Women. You didn't see men carrying jars of water. So when you go into town, sure enough, there's a guy carrying a jar of water. They go, must be him. (laughs) Not any other guys carrying water. And so they follow him and they go to that place. And now they're making preparation for the Passover. And they get there, and they are amazed at what happens. And in Mark 14, it says, When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. Why did he wait till evening? Because he went in during sunlight. All the throngs of people would come and just mob him, and he wouldn't be able to go and do what he's about to do. And it's important that he goes and does this. And so they go into the city after sunset. And then what happened in Mark 14? It says this, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. And then also from there, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. And It becomes evident that he's saying the Passover is all about me. I want you to realize that it's about this relationship we have. And it would be weeks before they would understand the significance of that. And while they were delighted to be close to Jesus and see him proclaiming himself the Messiah, then Jesus seems disturbed because he knows what's coming. And eventually they leave the upper room and they make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prays. And they hear in the distance and they see a disturbance, And they see Judas leading the temple guard to arrest Jesus. And you remember that Peter is so impetuous, he gets up and he chops off the guard's ear. Jesus picks it up and reattaches the guy's ear to his head. Now look, if you're the temple guard and Peter has just chopped your ear off and Jesus has picked it up and put it back, you still going to arrest him? I'm going, okay, I'm done, thanks, that's good, I'll just follow you now, right? I mean, nobody else could do that, could they? You'd be pretty grateful, wouldn't you? And so, But that's what they do. But Jesus says to them, am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have to come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but... The scriptures must be fulfilled. See, Jesus, he saw him coming in advance. He could have gone over the hill, the Mount of Olives. He could have been hiding in the wilderness like David did from Saul, but he didn't. The disciples went to sleep. If they'd been awake, they'd probably try to pick him up and carry him out of there, but they fell asleep. He couldn't keep them awake. And then the crowd comes, and he sees the torches. He knows what's happening, but he knows, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. And then Peter makes a decision he'll regret for the rest of his life. Peter lost hope. And it says, then everyone deserted him and fled. And clearly Jesus, he wasn't the king that he said he was going to be. He, he wasn't the Messiah. There would be no kingdom. It's just human nature for us to assume the worst about God when our circumstances are the worst. If you're here today and you got bad circumstances, sometimes we think, God... Can help everybody else, but he can't help me. God could do everything else, but he can't take care of this. I'm here to tell you today, I get tested on what I preach. I'm here to tell you today, God can do anything he wants to do. You can count on it, you can believe it. And all we have to do is surrender to his perfect will. And in that dark moment when God seemed so distant and so far away, and still he was actually close and he was more active than he had been in centuries, and Peter would say, I would give anything. If I could just go back and have that time over again. If I could just go back. Because Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. He said, I'll never do that. He turned around and did it. You know how you feel when you mess up? You know how you feel when you sin? And the first thing you want to do is you want to get to God and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I blew it. I don't know why I did that. I wanted to do this. It's like Paul. I don't know why I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. We're human, and that happens to us. And it it said in, in the previous sermons, it kept talking about Peter and the disciples. Peter and the disciples. You know why I think they delineate that? Because Peter was the one who denied him. And Peter was the one who wanted to get to him when he was resurrected and say, so let's make things right. Please forgive me. Let's get this straightened out. It's just killing me, and I want to get it right with you. And it's fascinating because the men who abandon Jesus become the same men who will risk their lives, ensuring that you and I know for certain that the, the kingdom is near because the king is is near. And because of what happens next in the story, everything that stands in the way between you and me knowing and experiencing God, all that's been removed. Would you like to know what happens next? You're going to have to come back next week because we're out of time. I, I can't, don't beg, don't beg. I can't stay forever. You come back next week and I'll tell you some more. Don't miss part six of God is near. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for being near. Thank you for rising above our circumstances. Thank you for being a God who cares about the details of our lives. Thank you for being faithful to us even when we're not faithful to you. Forgive us, Father. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't just save us for ourselves, but save us so that we might be your instruments, so that we might be your leaders, so that we might be your witnesses because, Lord, We want a lost and dying world to not only know about you, but to embrace you. We pray in your son's name. Amen.